Welcome to episode six of the Cult and Culture podcast. I'm Justin Pearson. And I'm Luke Henshaw. And uh, this episode features Bob Barley from Vinyl Communications, uh, the record label that was started in Chula Vista in 1986. Um, featured bands such as Amenity, Heroin, Men's Recovery Project, Rob Crow, Rock from the Crypt, Merzabau, Crash Worship, Longmount Potion Castle, KK Null, Kid 606, and many more. Uh, Bob was also the singer for Tit Wrench and Neighborhood Watch. And maybe most uh, importantly, he ran for mayor of Chula Vista. Um, so here you have it, the next uh, episode of Colton Culture. Rolling. Fucking gay people are the only ones that want to get married now. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones that probably even buy the fucking houses and shit people are buying. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is, it all, is it all ready to go? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so... Yeah, I appreciate it. I, if I'm a pain in the ass, just let me know. <laughs> cool. So I'll do like a little introduction and then sure, yeah. whatever, whatever you guys roll. What's our time frame on this? Like what, an hour? Whatever or? you want. Oh, yeah. Well, whenever it fizzles. I'll out. answer. I. This is my day, other than fixing your heater later. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's the. I think that's the introduction. So yeah. Uh, so Bob, um, I mean, we. So I met you through Vinyl Communications, and I think maybe probably through Matt Anderson. Um, at the time, which was predated, or possibly Jose, maybe Jose, yeah, because yeah. okay, so anyhow, you were running. I remember when his... I was running for mayor, Jose with his uh, mohawk, yeah, like, yeah, um, with and his revolutionary communist party, yep. uh, manifesto the in RCYB, we were was uh criticizing me for running for office, <laughs> uh, but which, that guy worshiped, which is Je- legitimate. <laughs> I, I don't know, man, Jose worshiped Jello, so I'm wondering how that fits in because he kind of well, let's talk, let's start off with that, then let's talk about you running for mayor because that's that's pretty mind blowing. Um, what year was that? That was ninety one. I mean that that we're kind of jumping, jumping you, the story a little bit because the label start actually the... started in eighty six. Right, let's go. Okay, let's. I let's mean, go. if you want the full, if we no, want to do talk, this chronologically, let's talk about the mayor thing. I, I, okay, let's go. Let's go get that, that out of the way. <laughs> um, the mayor of Chula Vista uh, had passed away, and she was real popular, Gail McCandless or McCandless, and it was sort of like, it it was. There was nobody set to take that job. So it was sort of like, well, who's going to be mayor of Chula Vista? So they, they called a special election. And the election was in June of 91. And people were coming out of the woodworks, myself included. So there was 11 people that ran for that office, wow, okay. you know, declared candidacy. Um, and there were four of them that... Um, God, you kind of caught me off guard because I can't even remember a, a <laughs> lot of their names. Um, Chris Chase was sort of the Republican, and uh, well, so what did you you ran as like what what, what was I, your I, I ran as it's local elections at least in Chula Vista at that time and and still now officially, but um, local elections are nonpartisan. Okay. Um, Tim Nader's was representing the Democrats though, uh-huh. and Ch- Chris Chase was. A Republican, uh, Nick Aguilar, I think, was a Democrat, uh-huh. and, so, and uh, God, Scott, I forgot his first name, um, was one of the other main guys because he had been on the council for years. So, and then there were the nuisance candidates um, like myself. <laughs> I got this official support from the Green Party. Okay, um, rad. And Jello Biafra came down and gave like a classic. Uh, we had a classic spoken word event at yeah. Bella's Pizza. I remember that. I think lot, that was a lot, lot of people. Went that was to that. what blew it up, really. Yeah, and then um, the Star News did some. Chula Vista Star News did some articles. Um, it was really kind of funny because when I went to go get my photo taken at the Star News, 
the photographer had worked at KCR and said something huh. like, hey, aren't you the guy that wrote We Fuck Sheep? my little lamb job. You know, he knew me from Neighborhood Watch yeah, back yeah. in the day. And um, so it was kind of a circus, and we yeah. just kind of rolled with it. Um, Did you ever think you would maybe win? Um, early on, I thought it was a very slight possibility, and then I kind of figured out it really wasn't. So we just kind of had fun with it. Um, that being said, I did come in fifth. Out. I was like the fifth, king of wow. the nuisance candidates. Oh. I came in fifth out of 11. So it was like the four legit candidates and then myself wow. and then some other people that had much more experience than I did. I was 26 at the time, I think. Huh. Yeah, no, I was. I was 26 at the time. That's pretty young. I mean, I don't... Yeah, yeah. yeah it yeah. was um, especially kind of coming out of nowhere, coming from the whole punk rock thing. Um, it was as much art project as legit you know i'm from chula vista yeah. so i had some legit concerns do, so um, do, was all this stuff like your 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 punk background like showing up in like press or like oh yeah it, definitely so that was... definitely um <laughs> like it the start the star news did a cartoon you know jello says barely and you know, yeah yeah you know like funny signs and sure. things and for all the candidates not just me but uh i did get put on i i, I had a legitimate enough showing to where um i did get put on the city's economic development commission huh. briefly but that i ended up dropping out just because they hold these meetings during work days oh, when yeah. people from roar and other businesses are being paid to be there and i would just be like crawling under somebody's house <laughs> with sewage all over yeah. me completely muddy showing up to these meetings so okay, and, so you were a plumber at the time too. I've been plumbing, yeah, I've been plumbing pretty much my whole life since I was seventeen. So plumbing was the first job, and then the second. Well, actually, paper route was the first paper. job. If you want to go way back. <laughs> right. um, okay, so you, uh, I mean, you got into plumbing, and that's pretty awesome, and that that kind of ties into some of your musical aesthetics. Yeah, if you want the chronolo- uh, chronology of the the music. Um, yeah, when did you start so, Vinyl Communications? That's a good question. I, <laughs> in 1985, and this is kind of a long story, so if you need to edit any of this out, <laughs> right. whatever you need to do. Uh, a buddy of mine, um, who I went to high school with, a guy named, by the name of Moose, was really into New Wave and stuff. This is going into the earlier 80s. It's a great name. And he won, he won a PA system from Guitar Trader on Claremont Mesa. Yeah. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's still there. I think they just went under. Yeah. But... And then um, another one of my friends, Scooter, who's ended up being is my and he still is my brother-in-law. He was working night shift down at the Seven Eleven down in San Ysidro, and like at two in the morning, this guy comes in and with a bass guitar, saying, "Hey, I'll give you this killer bass. I can have these like Penthouse and Playboy magazines." <laughs> A stolen like, base, right? Yeah, it, it, I don't know. I didn't say that. <laughs> so so he has this base. Moose has this PA that he won. And so they started jamming, and they invited me over. And um, we made a couple songs. And then Scooter had brought his friend Jim, Jim Lennertz, from, from work. He was working downtown at this point at an auto parts place. And... You know, we were sounding pretty good. You know, uh-huh. I didn't know. None of us really knew anything about music, but we were just jamming. Um, I think I was about twenty at the time, and you know, we oh, we have a couple songs. Let's let's maybe think about playing a show. Or there weren't really any shows to play at that yeah. time for us. But like, hey, if we have a name, then we can start moving forward. 
So he had a neighborhood watch sign in his garage. And, and then we decided, hey, we'll call ourselves Neighborhood Watch. And then um, that was so we was, didn't know. There was, another, there was another band up in L.A. called Neighborhood Watch at that uh, time. We had no idea. And it also, at that point, for us, we're thinking, even if we did know, it wouldn't really matter because yeah. we're never going to make it to L.A. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what we're thinking. Um, so then Moose comes over to my house a few weeks later. Hey, I think we're taking this too seriously. I mean, if a, a, a name for a band, it's like you guys are just this, you guys are going nuts here. So he quit. Huh. That's too bad. So it's like, shit, we don't have a place to play. So uh. I had already had my house. So you know what? I know a lot of building. I know a lot about building. I run into guys on jobs. I'm going to build a fucking studio. So got a lot of help from a lot of sympathetic people and construction workers. And we built the studio that, I mean, a lot of things have been recorded there since. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. So first... Um, I used to do a lot of DJing too, but I don't think that really ties in with the label so much. Um, and back then, by DJing, I meant just like playing records at parties. But I'd always mix in like punk rock and just weird shit, right. pissing pissing everybody off that wanted to hear Michael Jackson. <laughs> but oh well. Um, so in 1986, um, my nephew was going to Torrey Pines High, and he had a couple friends. Um, Brett Barmettler, like, kind of a weird dude. And they were getting into punk rock and things, and they knew that we were practicing. So they started coming down when they were in high school. Brett Barmettler is Barney Love, and that's kind uh, of what I'll be referring to him okay. as Barney Love from now on. He's He was pretty important in the early foundations of the label, including designing the logo and designing different record covers yeah. and things. And he influenced a lot of other bands later, like Crash Worship. Jason Lane tells me, you know, Barney would just push the envelope so much they always thought they had to try and stay one step wow. ahead of him. Which is a big, uh, that's a big thing to say, trying to, <laughs> being coming from Crash Worship. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, Barney was like when Shelter, the band Shelter, was playing the Krishna yeah, band. Yeah. Barney would be throwing hot dogs. So at he was, them. I remember it, uh, it, uh, what was his name? Del Mar's Garage or whatever. And, they, and like people would go and throw hot dogs at him. Yeah, well, the Barney was doing that up in, in Del Mar at that point. But but anyway, that's jumping forward okay. a few years. But So I bought a four-track in 86, and we started. We played one show, this keg party right across the street from Hilltop High School. And we did pretty well. A lot of people liked us, even though there wasn't really any punk rockers there. But huh. um so, you know what, let's just record a record just for fun. I mean, yeah, no one's going to buy it, but they're not that expensive. We can sell them at Off the Record, Blue yeah. Meanie, yeah. and the punk was kind of getting going a little more by by that point. Um, didn't know anything about it, but it was just something I wanted to do. And we put out this first 7-inch. I know no one can see it. <laughs> um I just brought it. I brought some props to remind myself sure. of this. Some of this is going back a few years. Um what is this? Thirty years after, thirty-one years. So that's eighty-six. So that this is eighty-six. Uh -huh. This came out in October. We got it just a few days before a show at my studio, and that's where I met all the guys from Amenity. We just put on a okay. show, put out some flyers. There was a place called the Berlin Wall. Oh yeah, in, yeah. In I used Chula to go Vista by Creepers there Avenue. and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And we put out some flyers and let's just see who shows up. Uh -huh. It could have been nobody. It could have been a hundred people, and it was a lot closer to a hundred than nobody. Wow. And we. I said, hey, we just put out this 7-inch after the show. This band Tyburn Jig opened for us, just a guy I had met. I used to run ads um, in the reader, just 
to have people come over and record. Huh. I had a little four-track cassette, so it wasn't anything too legit. But sure. it was just, hey, come record your demo or whatever. So after the show with Neighborhood Watch, hey, we just put out this 7-inch. If you guys want to buy one, that'd be, be help us out. And pretty decent-sized line. A lot of people bought them. And that's where I met the amenity guys. And um, Amenity pre-mic down. Way pre-mic down. Uh, Pre-drum set, I think. I think Barry was playing... Um, was Barry in the band? Yeah, they were yeah. just kind of jamming on. I think Barry was probably playing a trash can. I, 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 <laughs> wow, you know, just crazy. they didn't have like a full set yet. They uh -huh. they were just starting. Oh, and, interesting. And but, that's kind of like, I, I think they the fact that okay, there's another band from Chula Vista doing this. Maybe they started taking it a little more seriously. Sure, and yeah. and then um, just through Maximum Rock and Roll, and you cannot stress how important Maximum Rock and Roll was at that time. I don't. I know it's still around, but. Um, at the time, that was our lifeline. Sure. You know, that, I mean, that was like, what is equivalent to the internet now? Because you couldn't find out anything without yeah. Maximum Rock and Roll. Good analogy. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. So we put an ad in Maximum Rock and Roll and started getting mail. And, you know, the rest is history. I saw an interview with the band Apple. Because oh, yeah. I've always had a political bent. <clears throat> I don't know. We won't go into the whole deep history. But, you know, kind of a leftist perspective, working class, left, working class leftist. Although nowadays, working class, they kind of flip that on people it seems but um but even, even like elaborate on that you had you had told me that your 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 father was like openly communist i don't think he was a he was a prisoner of war in world war ii and he was in a nazi prison camp for nine months and oh. was surrounded by all russians so he had the you know he had a different perspective than what i was seeing on the news oh sure <laughs> sure um and then you said at one point he was like even considered himself an anarchist which is uh, I think towards the end of his life, he was getting kind of just realizing that all governments aren't aren't working, that's, whether they're Soviet or American. I mean, that's interesting. That <laughs> that, that that's interesting coming from your parent, you know, like for sure. Yeah, he was pretty open-minded, um, but pretty, you know, dude was in a Nazi prison camp for nine months. He didn't want to piss him off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So. So then, you know, Vinyl Communication starts and you have Neighborhood so, Watch, Apple. Neighborhood Watch, I write to Apple. In fact, Michael, I saw him a couple of years ago and he says he still has the letter I wrote to their band. I've talked to um, Vinny, it's been years, and uh, his sister. Anyway, so I wrote to them and said, hey, we got this record label going. We've got one release and we'd love you guys to do a record with us and we'll get it out there the best we can and i mean it's pretty iconic looking too like with reagan on it it totally reminds me of like you know like you know reagan youth or dead kennedys or something of that of yeah that time. yeah i mean it was um <clears throat> you know i think it was pretty almost like crass records like sure yeah. um pretty definitive of the times i guess for an anarchist band and then we did our third record was amenity who yeah kind of took Which, a similar theme but gave it more of a suburban san diego sure. vibe that doesn't have like the um the the aesthetic of the amenity that i that i grew up with so i, I must have like came in a few years later when yeah, when, when yeah my this is this is their first one i don't know if you ever saw this no I, yeah I, ha I have that record but my introduction to amenity was with mike denny so that was that was after that record you know i think um i think the this is our struggle and yeah and, yeah and that the, was bc 18 the, yeah okay so that was kind of like when I started, I don't know, getting hip to whatever was happening. Yeah, well, we had, yeah, God, you're, this is bringing back a lot of weird memories because um, <laughs> some of the stuff I'd forgotten about, but... Uh, but I guess... Yeah, so, so that that was kind of our first, um, and then by the time VC4 came out, which we put out the Feeding the Hand That Bites 12-inch, we were getting interviewed by Marco Collins on 91X. and Wow, so you were we, kind of 
covering some ground there. I mean, yeah, we went from nothing to being on loudspeakers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and and like that, especially back then, it was probably pretty hard to get on there. I mean, I remember being a little kid and like hearing occasionally hearing suicide tendencies or violent femmes, but that was the like ex- extent of it. You know, I never. Yeah, Mar- Marco was a real. Uh, interesting DJ. I originally met him at KCR. <clears throat> okay. And we had done an interview with them. We were driving around in my Ford Ranchero, me and Barney Love with Marco Collins. And then the interview didn't come out because of all the, you know, you can imagine um, driving. Driving and especially sh- <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> so we ended up going, at that point, I guess he had moved back or he had just gotten a job at 91X. So huh. we did the interview there and we were on loudspeaker. In fact, yeah, there is a lot of ground to cover here because. We used some of that interview on this tape we did called Define Quality. I don't know if you ever saw that tape. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, it was one of Marco's, I think he had just started at 91X, and he had us in the studio, and we got to play some songs. It was a lot of fun. But Define Quality we actually did as a benefit tape for a record store we opened. Okay. Vinyl Communications helped open a record store. So we'd have these shows, and we'd tell kids, hey, bring all your junk. We're going to go to the swap meet a couple trips to see if we can put together a couple months' rent to open a record store in Chula Vista. Cause back then everybody had to go up to blue meanie and El Cajon mm-hmm. and you know, off the record, yeah. I think was on El Cajon Boulevard. And there was Lou's and off the record. And uh, yeah. And that, that, you know, those were like going to the moon. <laughs> yeah. For us, yeah. I know. Basically. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I had to beg my mom to take me there like for months just to go get. Yeah. Seven so inches. we wanted to, you know, bring some quote unquote culture and, yeah. and cult <laughs> <laughs> um, to Chula Vista. And, and, and we got it open for about a year stayed open for a year yeah. put a lot of pressure you know put some financial pressure on myself because i kind of i was on the lease yeah and, you know i was the old man and i think i was 22 maybe 23 <laughs> at the time yeah and just sort of responsible i guess legally now you're thinking about it for all these kids that were coming to our yeah. shows and things so and, you were you were having shows at the record store yeah at I'm, the record store which just, is not legal i'm sure no 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 yeah, no, yeah. no we had we had some incidents never really had any police in fact the one time we had i won't get too into it but one time we did have a little bit of violence was at a moral crux show uh. And we called the police, and they didn't show up. So it's like you can't even uh, get the police at our gigs yeah. when we need them. Yeah. Um, so, and around the same time, you were also doing shows at your house, right? Because right. I, I just, when I first heard about you, I think, I mean, I think I knew of the label and Neighborhood Watch, and 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 I and I, I just kept hearing about like these shows that you're having, and and to me, they were. I was kind of surprised. So you you had Op Ivy. At your... Yeah, we we had Op Ivy. That was probably one of the funnest shows. I've ever been to anywhere, uh-huh. let alone at our house. Like we had a bunch of other bands um, between my house and the studio. I can't always remember where they were. Yeah, um, a lot of the Lookout bands came down, and you know, Born Against had some classic shows, um, and just Amenity played a lot, of sure. course. And I, I don't even I, I hesitate to I don't want to forget anybody, which I already have. <laughs> <laughs> so I know Kamala. Uh, and the carnivores came down, but part of her band didn't come, so they couldn't play, and she was uh-huh. really bummed out. Brain Rust played, which was VC7, which was an early... They used to be Sleeping Dogs on the on the Crass label. Wow. And uh, we put out their record. So we were all over the map sure. in terms of sound. You know. Which I think is like... Uh, you mean Vana Communications? Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I think that's like a, a really important um, detail for you, but also for San Diego, because I, I that's sort of like what 31G... 
kind of modeled itself after like it was very eclectic musically and i think that was i mean at the time i, I feel like even with gravity too it's sort of how everybody was doing things just kind of by the seat of our pants and like by all, like there wasn't it wasn't like a, a defined label you know you have like metal blade or something it just puts out metal it was just kind of like we did whatever we felt was cool and what we liked it, it was, was more a spirit i mean if i'm allowed to use that sure. word um it, it was it's hard to explain it, it's, <clears throat> yeah. it can't be defined yeah. i guess yeah so I remember when I was, um, I, I had to have been 15 because I was just starting to play and struggle. And, and, I, and maybe, I thought it was Matt Anderson, but maybe it was Jose Palafox. But we, we would go to your house to fold records. And it was funny because at the time I was very naive and I was like, okay, we're going to go to the, the house and fold these records. And hopefully you were going to put out a struggle record and it never happened. I, w- I wish I would have. There's a couple, I, I, I actually regret not putting that out there's a lot of different reasons financial and sure. just timing now, i do it i totally understand now but yeah <laughs> but at the um, time we just thought like why isn't he you know you know one of the other ones that i really wish we two other records i really wish we would have put out one was that ara comp if you remember oh, yeah, that we yeah. were gonna do which like never a, came out no no yeah, we, it was yeah. gonna be a triple seven inch yeah but it just oh man dealing with you know 15 18 i forgot how many different bands yeah just the timing of it yep. and just sort of oh these guys are holding it up now now these guys are holding yeah, it up oh yeah. shit now we're holding it up sure. now they want a new song on there yeah. and it just got to the point where shit this is two years three years we it it just got back burnered and it's i guess theoretically it could come out now but i mean i wouldn't so even the audit. ara is anti-racist action yeah, yes it was yes, very we, relevant at that time yeah we, we were going to do a comp for them and it just we dropped the ball on it. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I'll take responsibility. Huh. Um, It'd be interesting to see that come out now because I feel like it's still very relevant. Uh, that you know. Yeah, the, a lot of the music, I mean, I, I think most of the bands wouldn't want their song. You know, a lot sure. of bands mm-hmm. mature. It's like, oh, shoot, we don't even want to be associated with that song. Yeah. Now. So I, I wouldn't release it. But um, and another one that uh, this is jumping forward close, you know, five, ten years, but... Um, when we sort of segued from punk getting more into electronic music, but still with a punk edge, like Kid 606, yeah. Tit Ranch, stuff like that. Um, you know, Mersbau, we did a couple Mersbau records. Um, we wanted, to, we were planning on doing a record called That Was Punk, This Is Now, and that uh, one never came out. Huh. So a compilation? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, a compilation. Uh, uh-huh. I think I remember you t- talking about that at some, at some yeah, point, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's kind of... You get all these ideas, and a lot of them come to fruition, and just some get shelved for every reason in the book, really. So where, where did um, the cross from Neighborhood Watch to Tit Wrench happen? That happened, now, Neighborhood Watch, we ended up, we had some nice shows up at Gilman Street. Part When Op Ivy played at our house, um, you know, to thank us later, because that was the second show on their U.S. tour, they invited us to play with them up at Gilman Street. And that was a phenomenal show. It was packed house. Sure. And especially the, the I remember that, that around that time, like Gilman Street was like the sort of mecca of. of oh, yeah, yeah, everything. yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And um, especially on the West Coast, if, if not the world, really. Um, and, you know, we had a nice show. We played some nice shows up there. We developed a decent fan base, so we kept getting invited back. And on the fourth time we played up there, you know, as you know, I'm a plumber. That's where I make my living. And one of my neighbors had a job for me about two miles or two hours outside of Sacramento up in the mountains. So he kind of talked me into going up there and plumbing this cabin for him. It was like a bed and breakfast. It's going to be four, four bathrooms, kitchen, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so me and my brother, my brother drove up 
and he picked me up at that show and then we drove to our job two hours away um up in the mountain sheep ranch or mountain ranch i can't remember the exact location and then i guess on the way back the band kind of split up um it was unfortunate but you know we had zach from from pinback was our bass player and for neighborhood watch yeah okay i didn't know and tom from three mile pilot he was our keyboard player and yeah neighborhood watch is i could do we could talk about the whole show on that but i'll try to summarize um so we got when i got back from doing that job up out in the mountains um you know and we've all felt this it's like you know what it's just too hard dealing with so many people in a band so sampling was coming in sampling was getting much more affordable even though i think my first sampler cost me 1500 bucks which was (laughs) buying a house back then (laughs) so i just started sampling whatever i mean i you know with contact mics i'd sample flies um, caught in a web just shit like that and then tim gonzalez came over and i had known mike at that time too so we just started sampling guitar riffs Uh mike uh denny yeah 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 and um that's where that first tit wrench record go back to europe came from um it took me probably six months to write one song back yeah, then, yeah. so that's the first tit wrench release well the yeah the the first um the first song people like that should be spayed was on an amity records compilation okay and, and they were eventually released by Mordown, but they did this 10-inch record called beautiful music for beautiful people yeah so that they, they invited they invited me on there because I had they were one of the bands that that, that played the studio back oh, in cool. the day descent and um, so that huh. that's kind of it's kind of kicked me in the ass like shoot I gotta do a song now oh yeah so I started putting all the guitar riffs and really focusing on so that record is 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 basically you and half of Amenity that's one way of putting it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's uh, except they don't like none of the guitar parts they played were like i would just take Chop snippets of what and, they yeah, did and like it and stuff yeah speed it up sure loop it play yeah it, it sounded fucked up when i heard it I, <laughs> I i mean that for me like i was just used to playing and i was in struggle and i was just used to like regular riffs and i was like hearing this being like what the hell is that sound you know <laughs> i was intrigued but so let's talk about the title of that because i think that's really important i mean i think that was the time when roger hedgecock was like doing the yeah, light up the border yeah yeah and, yeah basically and that's why i think it's and hopefully I'm wrong, but it seems like so many people I talk to, they get in their little bubble of thought and they don't hear other opinions and they don't listen to people they disagree with. <laughs> I would always listen to Roger Hedgecock and me too. Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. Just let's just hear what these yeah. guys have to say and also know what your enemies are thinking. And, and yeah, and... yeah, it's just like, and you know, part of it was <laughs> funny, part of it pissed you off, part of it, you know, what he has a point there, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Let's give the devil his due. Um, <laughs> but they were doing this light up the border thing and i went to the first one and um i just couldn't believe it it's like uh, come on it's like yeah. what is this like ku klux klan stuff almost i mean that's probably an extreme i mean it was yeah. pretty fucking like rogue and like just a bunch of shitty white people light lighting up the water with their well, well so people ex- put their cars car and, lights flash yeah. their car headlights at the border yeah. it, it's you know um like a message to I, I don't the weird thing is like I could never figure out who the message was to like the people of Mexico or to the government like well, US it, government it, it, it's a bad look <laughs> whoever the message was for so me and my friend Jay who had a little magazine called the Amigo just like as an art thing I didn't think it was going to be dangerous or it was just you know we were just young punks fucking around but we made some signs Jay had a like a I forgot a, a small truck so I, I was in the bed and I had these signs and we ran we drove in front of the lights just 
go back to Europe, <laughs> you know, just to make people think, you know. I mean, and we were the only ones there uh, uh-huh. that sort of were protesting about it. And, you know, we got the hell out of there pretty quickly. We didn't get harassed or anything. I, it, mostly it was just confusion on their part. They didn't, I think a lot of those people didn't sink in until they got home. Like, why are these guys with, what's go back to Europe mean? Sure, yeah. <laughs> So a lot of the samples on that song, though, were done by Michael Schnorr and my friend Mark, Marco Anguiano, who's a big part of the Chicano community and um, part of the, uh, um, you know, big part of the Barrio Logan or um, Chicano Park uh, steering committee as well. And um, they had gone down there and they actually interviewed some of the people that were there. And so we just got some samples oh, from sure. that, some samples from roger hedgecock's show yeah and, and just kind of chopped them up and i mean that that, that, could... that thing was crazy that time was crazy and i think that that record was really compelling i felt at the time i mean i wish it would have been more mainstream i wish more well, of it, it be... did get on the cover of Rockpool magazine believe it or not which was some college i don't i don't know what the equivalent would be now maybe Rockpool is still around i don't know is that but... like a san diego thing no no it... it's a national, oh, national magazine for college radio back wow. when college radio was relevant that's pretty rad so it was i think we we're right under daniel johnston oh interesting <laughs> um so but yeah i should have you know it's, i think i posted that on our facebook page at one point but, but it's that whole thing that movement was very for us it too for struggle like it was a big a big deal i mean we like jose and i went to a couple of those light at the border things where it was it was pretty fucking sketchy and like people were like throwing rocks at us and shit you know and it was i don't know it was a weird time yeah you know? it's it, it it's still is yeah i mean we probably looked like assholes you know like showing up there and there's like all the you know like then there's like the dude with the giant mohawk and the guy with the orange hair it's like oh those obviously aren't our people like you know and we were yelling and 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 it it didn't didn't go over as well which i feel like your tactic might have been more like uh, yeah we were like more of a hit and run (laughs) (laughs) i mean you got to pick your battles sure sure (laughs) So uh, let's talk about Tit Wrench then and like the sort of lineage of that because I, I remember like, well, for one, a lot of my friends ended up playing in, in Tit Wrench. Um, uh, and one of the most uh, impressive things was um, Jose Palafox from Struggle and Swing Kids like ended up being your drummer and not only being your drummer, but playing a toilet. So I, I, let's, yeah. let's, <laughs> well, we started doing, um, uh, let's see. So after this record came out, this band Volkswell from Ohio wanted to do a split seven inch with us and... Well, the us at the time was pretty much just me. Um, so I had Mike Kennedy, who later went on to be on Drive Like Jehu. Uh-huh. Um, his band, Nightshow Man, was practicing at my house. And um, I wrote that song, Life Sucks Do Me, because we were playing at the old Soma, and it just, oh, it yeah. just fit for that vibe. That place is a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, it was actually Brett Blue from... i got to give Brett some Brett, credit yeah. here. Um, who was in Born Against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he... Uh, you know, back then people were experimenting, just going to different things, and he's talking about all the industrial chicks or whatever. And he's like, "Oh, life sucks, do me." You know? <laughs> uh, and I say, like, "Oh, that's a." I'm song gonna remember t- that that's for a song something title right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Huh. And um, so we did "Life Sucks, Do Me," and then we started playing a lot at Soma. And the the toilet we would actually trigger up. We just put MIDI triggers on it. Uh. And so um, we'd have the toilet with a kick drum. So he'd be literally playing the toilet and we could hook up different bass But sounds. so did he sit on the toilet or was he in a drum seat? He was playing? in a drum seat oh, playing okay. the toilet. Okay. But but we'd have different, you know, cymbals. We'd have the tit wrenches, which are these little brass, yeah. or not brass, they're cast iron little logo. You know, if you see our logo, yeah. you know what they are. Yeah. But they're basically to open up clogged sewer line or open up sewer lines so you can clean out the clog. Mm-hmm. That's basically... Uh-huh 
what we mean by that name, <laughs> unclogging the sewer <laughs> of culture. Um, but, you know, we trigger those up so he could be, we could make cymbal sounds or dead flies or yeah. rats or, you know, whatever huh. when he hit those. So you could do all sorts of different stuff. But that was, it was a lot harder to do back then. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just, Especially because you go to a place like that and the sound engineer is like, what the fuck is this? And yeah, yeah. Nowadays, you just bring a laptop and you, <laughs> you know, give me a left and a right. And but but having a toilet on, on stage was an impressive thing, you know. It, I think it said a lot. It, it was different. It yeah, was theatrically. It, yeah, yeah. Because you got, at the end of the day, you got to be entertaining. Sure. No mm -hmm. matter how relevant you're trying to be, which. Even though we addressed some serious topics, it, it was sort of like, hey, are they a joke band? Or mm. Are they a serious band? What's going on here? And it's like, we're serious, but it's also fun and funny. Yeah. We're, we're not an army. But we're, I mean, you also ended up playing, you also ended up <laughs> yeah. playing Small We Fuck Sheep, right? by the way. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> you, uh, you ended up playing We Fuck Sheep, too, I, I believe. I mean, I saw Titrinch play. Yeah, that, we, yeah, we would do. And then like when we went on tour, we went did this like Midwest tour because we were talking a lot with the, the band Dead Silence. Mm. And um, Rapid City, South Dakota had a pretty neat scene going back then. So we did this tour through like Colorado, New Mexico, went up to South Dakota. And because of the Dolly Parton cover, we were playing nine to five as well. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about that to some extent. Yeah, but, sure. Okay, so, uh, so yeah, that's, who all was in the band? I mean, okay, so you had, you had people from Three Mile Pilot. You had uh, Matt Anderson from Heroin. Yeah, we had, there's always sort of a range of characters. Matt played shows with us in California, but um, when we went on that tour, it was me, Jose, P. Hicks, Gunner, who, we've got to get into Gunner at some point. <laughs> that's, that's another story. Well, I'll get into that right. Well, okay. Gunner and uh, Chris Squire. Okay. But Gunner, I met, we did this show at Miracosta College. And Gunner and his friend Tim showed up to the gig with instruments. Like they had bought this, they had this seven inch. And they say, hey, can we come up and we know your songs. Can we come play with you guys? And it's uh, like, yeah, what the hell? Why not? And Tim was like one of those, was a Krishna dude, right? This was before that. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if he ever went full Krishna. He might have. Yeah. I think he was looking for something. <laughs> I think he found it eventually. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they. Uh, they played with us, and they kind of, shoot, you guys know our songs better than we do. <laughs> That's wild. I've never really heard of that. They take a break and go to the bar. <laughs> yeah, so um, they kind of became part of it at that point, Interesting. Too. And we did. Bass and, and guitar, right? Because I think. Yeah, Tim, so Tim, yeah, we never had like what I would consider to be a permanent lineup. Although, yeah. you know, P. Hicks has been around for 20 plus years. Yeah. Me and, you know, our, our most recent live lineup was guys that had been with us jay lesser was yeah. playing with us and though he wasn't in the band back in the day he was sort of part of our vc crew sure yeah um and so lesser jay lesser is like i think i i met kid 606 like kind of through him too right they had like a they did something together yeah kid 606 i i met him he started coming down to the house to help fold records when we were getting more into electronic yeah music and he was just he was a trip i mean we could do another show on him yeah. i mean um, he did a he did a locust remix like when we put out our first lp and stuff so he was doing remixes yeah. for everybody yeah, I know. And, and everyone was doing remixes for him i yeah. mean he, he kind of did it the right way you just you have to be aggressive and just get out there yeah. he annoyed the hell out of yeah. a lot of people and but, then he I linked mean, up with mike Patton's label ipecac yeah yeah that was yeah after we put out a few of his releases and I, at that point i was kind of getting more into my family duties as 
bringing up my kids and you know it's like yeah if you need to move on and make more money or make some <laughs> money at least that's that's cool so let's want to jump back to the Dolly Parton thing and touch yeah. upon that yeah Go for it. Uh, you, what, what do you need to know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, well, I remember it a little what bit. What was the so the, it was the Terrence LP, right? I, I wish that would have come out on vinyl. Oh, okay, CD but it was, full length. It was, it was a full length yeah. CD of uh, just a compilation of of all your seven inches or something. Yeah, seven inches. I think even some of the twelve inch stuff was on it. But okay. it was basically our first CD because people had told us, "Hey, you need to be releasing Terrence on CD," but uh -huh. we're still kind of committed to vinyl. Yeah. So when we released that first CD, it was like a lot of our stuff is double entendre. It's like it, almost everything. I don't know if people, I don't want to be too arrogant about it, but almost all my songs are about two different things. So like full employment can be taken a lot of ways. <laughs> but one of the ways it's to be taken is that it's like, yeah, this is sort of like, you know, our first couple of years of activity, full sure, employment, everything's sure. on this. Although it wasn't everything, but it was a good chunk of it. But I don't know if anyone knows what that cover was. They won't get a photo of it here, but we just used an image that Dolly Parton was on, and we got cease and desist letters from her attorneys. But you 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 edited the photo because there was like dogs and shit, right? <laughs> we edited it a little bit, yeah, 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 it definitely. And honestly, we got back then we were just doing cut and paste because I I didn't, you know, this was before Photoshop or right when Photoshop and all that was coming in. And yeah, I didn't know how to do any of that, so I think somebody at the printer or where we're getting our stuff printed through was pretty sympathetic to that photo because they made it look good. I just cut a dog's face <laughs> out and glued it. You know, they kind of, they blended it. Uh -huh. So so it was a picture of Dolly Parton with the U.S. military. It was during the Gulf War. And, and, and the point wasn't against Dolly Parton or the military per se. Like, you know, like I said, my dad was a POW. Um, it was just sort of using this rah-rah tits beer let's go kill people and that's kind of hey you know i don't like that i know what war does to people i know what it did to my family sure I had six people six uncles and aunts in world war ii it's like you know one of my uncles was in the battle of the bulge no this isn't fun for anybody oh, that's so interesting. that's that's why it's there mm -hmm. not to mention the you know all the debt and just the debt and money made on war sure it goes back mm -hmm. uh People like uh, Smedley Butler's book, I think that's the name, uh, War is a Racket. I mean, if you can get a hold of that. I think it was written in the 20s or 30s. Same shit. Yeah, sure. And we're still experiencing it. It never, I mean, you know, it. I've been studying the history of Rome quite a mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. And, you know, it goes back that far and probably a lot further. But, you know, we need to progress as humans. Sure. Uh, so speaking of progression, you, you got to cease and desist. And, then... <laughs> and we ceased and desisted. Yeah. Basically, I, you got to pick your battles and I wasn't ready to. Yeah. That's a big I, battle. I, to pick. I, yeah. It's a big battle to pick. So we just sent them the rest of the covers and washed our hands and feet and never heard back from them. But I'm sure that image is online somewhere. Someone can Google it and find it, right? I hope not. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, there, there we go. Um, um, I guess the other thing I, I really would like to talk about is like your involvement with Sam McFeeders because I, I think that's a pretty, I mean, to me, he's a, he's a, one of the most influential people in punk. And, and I mean, I'm pretty, I mean, okay, growing up listening to Born Against and then later on Men's Recovery Project. So you had a pretty big involvement with the, the start of Men's Recovery Project and even with Born Against. I mean, how did you meet Sam? 
Um, I met Sam when born against, I think their first trip to San Diego, I'd heard through the grapevine. He wanted to interview me because of his, because of my mayoral run. Oh yeah. And um, cause Doc and Dart, Doc, yep, okay. Doc Dart and Jello he had interviewed. So Doc he, is from the Crucifix. Yeah. Yeah. And he, who also ran for mayor and yeah. where was that? Um, Wisconsin or something. Yeah. Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I remember the, the interview was in dear jesus and it had and it was a piece on all three of you right okay yeah so i met him there i think sam was kind of getting burnt out of some of the you know born against was a pretty fucking serious band i mean it's almost like a religion you know in terms of uh well it's hard to live that sure yeah as as humans um and i think he kind of got burnt out on oh shit look at me walked on the same street as somebody eating a hot dog you know it's like he's no vegan or shit like that um i think he just kind of flipped on it and just started getting more satirical and yeah um, which i guess is is interesting to think about him and, and his own musical career going from boarding to men's recovery project because it was a it was a pretty large shift uh in, in well a, in i a, i know he had given this the first two tit wrench records really positive reviews in his magazine and then i know the first men's recovery project record and they were on like a slightly larger label brilliant record uh, i think it was called emergency record and it got i saw some reviews where oh this sounds kind of like tit wrench and mm -hmm. then at that point me and sam so were that like, blue cd this was not the first men's recovery i think this was the second okay the first one was called Emergency Record, and it came out on... Oh, it was a 7-inch, and, yeah. and it was like a woman giving birth to something. No, no, that was on Matt's label. That was on Gravity. Okay, huh. The 7-inch was... <laughs> I don't have a copy of it, but... Oh, uh, whatever. Anyway, so... We so you had known him from, from being interviewed and from Born Against recording at your studio? No, I think this was the first thing that he recorded at our studio, was this... I'm holding a Men's Recovery Project, Frank Talk About Humans CD. Well, so... Which is a brilliant CD, but the the um the Born Against UOA split wasn't that recorded at your at your um at yeah, your but I think that was well, shoot. You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe yeah. that one was recorded first. Like a lot of the because I know I think Born Against had like split up before Man's Recovery Project started. Maybe they started at the same time, but regardless, you you have a pretty interesting history with him because he. Oh also... yeah, we're really good friends. I just saw him. Yeah, it's probably been a year ago by now. We. I send him annoying videos and weird <laughs> shit every then, and he he pretends he's over it. But yeah, I don't think he is. He sort of <laughs> dropped off the the map for a, for a bit, which is a bummer because I think a lot of what he did was really influential. And I'm not sure. Maybe he doesn't want to come to terms with that or something. But I mean, Borning and paved the way for a lot of really cool stuff and in men's recovery part of it too i think for him is like you don't want to walk around and you know and i'm you know he's from the new york area or whatever you don't want to at some point hey that was who i was and this is who i am and i don't necessarily want to go back i mean some people are like that sure for me i don't you know the past is a nice place to visit i wouldn't want to live there yeah um but for him he doesn't even want to visit there yeah yeah <laughs> is, is sort of the vibe i get with him well, hmm, that's an interesting, interesting point. Because, I mean, we, the Locust ended up working with him on our album artwork and then with Neil Burke as well. So we've, we've worked, because Neil Burke did two of our record covers. My understanding is Neil Burke's moving to California or he's moved here recently. I hope. That guy's brilliant. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of... I see him in Philly every now and then. Mr. Wiggle, or I know him as Mr. Wiggle, Eric Wood from Pillsbury Hardcore 
bastard noise. Bastard, 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 bastard noise. He used to come down to the house a lot too. Um, and actually, he was down. Last time I saw him, it was with Sam McFeeder's wife. They were doing some noise uh-huh. music recording at the at the studio. And God, that was probably fifteen. Wood, Wood actually just played here like a week ago. Did he? Yeah, I, I yeah. didn't hear about it's it. Great, Where at? Uh, the Space Bar. Oh, shit. Great show. Um, man, so that's crazy too because there's so much. It's so like everything's kind of linked together because I mean even Eric Wood in, himself is a pretty outstanding person and important in as far as like the historical aspect. Of- yeah, we we did a show with him up in Santa Ana years ago, um, but I haven't I haven't hung out with him recently. Yeah. My Facebook time is spent mostly on saying, "Hey, hey, I haven't seen you in twenty years. All right, we'll catch you in another twenty. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like to look backwards too much. Sure, you know, yeah. um, a lot of people to... do resonate with nostalgia, and I, I get it. But it's a lot of times I think like, well, people are doing cooler, newer stuff, you know. And I mean, it's good to kind of know what happened because it kind of puts things in perspective that are happening now. Like yeah. honestly. I thought music would have progressed more than it has. <laughs> I'm kind of a little bit bummed. Yeah. Not that I'm out there every week looking for it. Sure. But, I mean, I, the Rubber Bandits I like from Ireland. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen Garfunkel and Oates a few times uh-huh. live. and But other than that, like going to a club to watch another hardcore band, it's like I almost can't believe people are still doing, still doing it. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed watching, uh, you know, like perfect example would be Bastard Noise. And, and I'm glad he's not doing Man is the Bastard. I mean, I liked Man is the Bastard at the time, but I'm not sure it, it's quite as punctual or I don't want to say relevant, but I, I, it, it would have a different meaning now than it did back then when, when we were you know younger yeah. and seeing that stuff. So it is weird how that, how that, how that whole thing has changed. Um, so let's, let's talk more about Vinyl Communications because I, I want to know. So you've done like 170-something records? The last... Um... The last number that I saw when I was looking through my studio this morning was a haters scanner. The haters, uh, the noise artist, and GX Jupiter Larson is the guy's name. And scanner, which was an English, I think he was doing like taking sound off scanners and fucking with it. Um, they did a split on my label, and that was VC 171. Okay. I think we had a VC 172. <laughs> and yeah we we put out a, and then we did a couple comps couple we did that defined quality comp tape and a couple other like unnumbered releases so we're right around between 170 and 175 it's crazy like um, I, I don't think there was a number 100 though so it's uh, i don't know the exact number sure. but it, it was crazy we we um i remember one month we put out seven seven inches wow um, and a lot of that we got a I guess thank is the word. Um, Mordam Records really helped our label out sure. a lot. That just, you know, when you can release records and, oh, shit, we actually, we're going to get paid for this, too. Yeah. You know, we, we're not just flushing $2,000 down the toilet. Yeah. Because um, when you're doing independent stuff, like oh, yeah. when we first yeah. did the first Neighborhood Watch and some of the early records, it was rolling the dice. Yeah, we just fronted you $500 worth of product and... I've got no legal recourse if we never get paid back. Sure. And it's, but also at the same time, like for me too, when I started 3-1-G, I never thought like I would be putting out a hundred records, you know I mean? We're, we're getting up there. We're in our, you know, we're in like 90 something now. So, I mean, it is weird to think about that, you know? I mean, I think even when I first met you and we were folding, um, I wonder why I can't, I wish I knew it. It was like someone 
maybe someone from Night Soil Man's record. Not it wasn't Night Soil. Oh, Man. Rosebud probably. It was like a seven inch or something. I remember. Oh, Leather Muffin. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, that that was Rosebud. Yeah, yeah. Night Soil Man was. I just good, remember good folding dash. records and thinking like, God, there's like. I, well, I don't even know what number that is, you know, like what, at least 10 or something, you know, it's like, wow, there's like a, a handful of records. And then, you know, sooner, sooner after that was, you know, like there was like gravity and they were putting out stuff too, which, you know, which is crazy because now and in, in, after so much time has passed, I look back and I think about like how you did release the first um, heroin. heroin seven inch. And then, and then even like thinking about like stuff like uh, the Longmount Potion Castle stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, that was a good story. That gets back into the Barney Love because let me, can I tell that? Yeah, much? sure, sure. So we put out the Barney Love tapes, which was him just making a couple crank calls, and they're they're pretty, they're kind of vanilla by today's standards. Um, and we beeped out the numbers and names so nobody you know could take it like it was them or whatever. Um, but that tape was sitting up in my attic for about a year or two, and it's like, oh, okay, why don't we release it? Just see what happens because you know Michael Board was. It, Released the Longmount John Truby. Tape. No, this was the oh, Barney Love oh, okay, tape. Okay. VC sixteen. So I get this weird letter from this guy in Colorado saying, "Oh, this sucks. My stuff's way better than this." <laughs> I wish I, I I'll find the original letter at some point. Um, it's like okay, yeah, you know, the first time you hear Longmont for anyone that knows what it is, it's like the first time you're not on Longmont's one of those things. The more you hear it, the funnier it yeah. is. The first time I hear it, it's like okay, this ain't bad. Second time, ah, okay, good, good. Oh, yeah, that is pretty funny. Yeah. And then you hear it a hundred times, and it's like, okay, well, I've heard that enough. Now it goes in the attic. And then like a year later, I find it again, start playing it for some friends. It's like, you know what? Why don't we release this? Oh, okay. So so we released that, and then um, then the avalanche started. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of uh, Radio Jihad, Brother Russell. Uh, I don't know. That was a good album. This kind of ties in with Barney Love again because I had stopped by the P.O. box going up to his house. He lived actually right around where we are right now at the time, Normal Heights. And I, I had the Radio Jihad tape, and we, me and Barney were just listening to it like right out of the mailbag. And first take, it's like, okay, we're putting this out. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Brother Russell. I, you know, we did, we made full color posters for him. I wish I could have done, we could have done more for him. But uh -huh. yeah, check him out. I think he has some stuff up on YouTube. But the Longmont stuff blew up because you ended up, up putting out like a few. We did we did the first Longmont and then we did Longmont two. I, I put together the first Longmont with so those are the bits that I like the best of the tapes we had, and then Rob Crow who's been really helpful with the label going way back. He came, I met him. I think he was in high school the first time uh -huh. he came down to do an interview for some little high school magazine or something. Um, he put together the second one. And um, and then we did a VHS tape, which was really new for me. I had never been involved in that type. So of what thing. was on the VHS tape? He, the Longmont guy made a little movie. I think it, I think it's on YouTube now too. You okay. can you can find that for free. I mean, oh, like he would have a like a he like a spy camera, right, or something? Is that what that was? He did all sorts of weird shit. He dressed up like a big rabbit or something. Uh, and um, so I wonder if like things like. Uh, I don't know, like jackass or all that, all those weird like prank kind of things like took cues from that because I mean it predated a it, lot of it, that. It's stuff. possible, yeah. The Longmont guy's been doing it since the '80s. Um, I did hear, I think it was a Coke or Pepsi commercial, where it's like, and this about ten years ago. Okay, these guys are getting this from Longmont. I can't, I can't do the. I don't remember precisely oh, what yeah. it was, but it, it was obvious that the guys who wrote this commercial 
heard it. Yeah, they had heard long line. It was <clears throat> well, very, very obvious. It's all over Adult Swim and and uh, like there's like these I, weird late night pieces that are actually the crank call is put to like this weird like. Oh shit! I, I I didn't know that. I don't. I try not to watch TV. Well, and then someone. Well, Adult Swim's like. I think oh, I, I've seen it. Yeah, but yeah. I, I didn't. A, I haven't seen any long top tier television. Anyhow, it's um. They're doing a movie about about it now, and and the, the director said he was going to interview you, and he wants to talk to Rob and Travis Ryan, who who also was... yeah I haven't I haven't talked to anybody about yeah. that. Well, I guess they're making a real movie. Yeah. They got like some big people backing it, I, I I think. So we'll see. Well, if I can find the original letter and they want it in the yeah. movie, I, they can have yeah. it. Yeah, huh. <laughs> it's crazy they haven't been in touch with you about. It. I thought I thought. Well, maybe... I'm not that easy to get in touch with these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I gave them your email or your phone number. Oh, <laughs> so I don't know. Who knows? Because you were the you were like the first source of that thing being exposed. Yeah, that's that is true. Yeah, which is, I don't know. Seems like a pretty big deal to me. Yeah, yeah, no, hilarious. no. I mean, you know, we got it. I remember talking to Ken Sanderson up at Mordam Records when they were trying to break into the Australian market and. One of the things that this is from a Mordown meeting, he was saying, Yeah, you know, a lot of these stores they're a little standoffish. They'll we'd send them some sample packets and they'd say, Well, send us a couple long months, but we're not really interested oh, in what... any of the music. <laughs> wow. That's so interesting. That, that was that was pretty funny, but yeah, Longmont, I, I guess you never know what's gonna hit. I mean, that's that's still like a staple, like on tour, you know, you're like, Oh, we have an eight hour drive, let's throw well, on some Longmont. And, oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. especially if you have a newer person in your band that doesn't is not familiar with it. I mean, it's so rad to expose people to that. It's the, the one thing I that I say about Longmont is it is one of the things, one of the few things, really. Um, maybe classical music, but uh, <laughs> the more you hear it, the better it is. The, <laughs> so you the same, and I'm not talking right. new Longmont, I'm just talking about the same one, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've equated. Longmont with classical music. That's that's great. That might be the the best thing you've said so far. <laughs> uh, um, God. So wait. Uh, so who else? So so Rob Crow, huh? He's he's been what? Yeah, he... Rob Crow. The last he's been playing with uh, Tit Wrench the last few times we played, which hasn't really been in a couple of years now. Yeah. God, that's I can't believe how time, fast time it goes. Yeah. I feel days. like uh, Retox played a show and Rob was playing. And, yeah, 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 he he was he was playing with us. Okay. He's played in all our like recent shows. Um, yeah, he's uh, we we released a couple. Um, did the Rob Crow Lesser Split CD? I think that was VC seventy two. That's huh. a good one. Most of this stuff isn't available anymore. I mean, we we're not distributed by anyone, um, and I, I kind of let the label just disappear on a certain level which i may pick back up i don't know yeah my, my son is doing his own brand and he's starting to get into music he has a brand called kind of similar along the lines but it's unidentified corporation and he's doing shirts he's done skateboards he's done some a lot of political art and now he's getting into music so you know I, he might take over some of the old vc stuff or he probably just do his own stuff really sure but, but it seems like uh there's a... but it's like i i don't want to go back into working into a, a record office and dealing with a lot of bands and arguing yeah. over how many color inks their tour poster is going to be <laughs> i mean it's kind of changed i feel like you could even have it up digitally for archival purposes you know for yeah we've, we've done some of that yeah we're doing that um through uh cd babies doing okay. some of that and... so that's where people can check out most of your well, catalog or 
Mm, a lot of it's on Spotify. Okay. Uh, a lot of it's on YouTube. If you know what isn't on YouTube these yeah, days. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and where else would it be? CD Baby. They're more of the distributor. Amazon has a lot of the Tit Wrench stuff. Okay. Neighborhood Watch is that on? Is Neighborhood that... Watch we haven't released digitally. Huh. We plan to. Might be time. Probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. So let's see what else then. I mean, I I hear like I mean there's. I swear, I thought Green Day played at your house, which I thought was crazy. Well, there was a lot of those types of bands. Some of them I can't even remember the fucking number. And I the, uh, and names. I do remember there was this band, and everyone was like, "It's Zach from Inside Out's new rap band," which I guess would have been Rage Against the Machine. But you said you don't I don't remember they're... Rage playing. I know Soulside played, uh-huh. but there was a lot of stuff going on where I was just, you know, turning on the lights basically, sure. and making sure the PA worked. I was. I was like working. Sure, yeah, 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 so of course. Was, um, what about your involvement with Matt Anderson? Because he recorded the first Swing Kids song uh, for this Food Not Bombs benefit. We recorded it in, at your house. Uh, you weren't there, but um, so he was doing recordings. Yeah, Matt. For... Matt, I met when we we released the first Heroin Seven Inch, obviously, and then um, you know I didn't have any guitar players currently working with me on tit wrench matt kind of he was a young kid you know yeah. he's probably just out of high school and he's like hey let's do another tit wrench record and i'll be your guitar player so <laughs> we you know back then it's like okay we're announcing this release it's coming out in whatever month yeah so we shit we better start working on yeah, it yeah so that's how a lot of that stuff got done and um we just recorded it and put it out and then matt moved down to my house i think i think he was living in the studio okay and from there, you know, I just gave him access to whatever he wanted to do. And he kind of saw how I was running my label. He wanted to start his own label, too. And I just, you know, I helped him with huh. whatever I could do. And so, and then the rest is history. So I think the first um, Gravity release was the Brain Tourniquet Slug cassette. And, and they were going to put it out on uh, on um, on a Flexi. But the only place that made Flexis was a Christian company. And they said there's too many cuss words in it. So they never released oh. it. <laughs> So it came out on cassette, and then, but I mean, he ended up releasing the, the heroin seven inch that you put out. No, no, that was he. That was a different one. Didn't he re-release it? No. So no, it's always was... just only been on. Yeah, the first heroin seven inch has only always. been on BC, okay. and then the then he did his paper bag seven inch, okay. which I think he did. A, I don't know if, how many it was. There's like a hundred on a white bag with gray vinyl. Okay. I've got one of those still. It's uh, kind of like a rare collectible. That record, I feel like, was maybe one of the, one of the, Im- most important records as far as like design and stuff at that time. They were like kind of that was kind of like the first weird ass thing that you would do as far as packaging. Yeah, it, it was kind of weird because it's very different than like where I was coming from. Shoot, we want all our records to look exactly the same, so they kind of look pro. You yeah, know? yeah, as pro as we can yeah, make them for totally. punk rock. But and, you were doing the force down ones, right? With the yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, that was Mike. He's like, oh, let's put some. You know, we want to have stamps and um mike was very um energetic and opinionated yeah and it's like okay yeah we can do that that, sure. that, that would be cool and it's that's funny because there's so many weird like like the first the first three one g release was a broken seven inch and they, they wanted a rubber stamp you know and it was i mean i was and it looks cool and i was psyched on it but i was like it's like the forced down record guys but you know that was like what they wanted. yeah it was so. kind of the thing at the time um and i've, I've always been pretty flexible with artists and just just anything. I mean, I, I'll put my foot down if I see a if there's a legitimate reason to not do something, but I'm not gonna tell you, hey, don't do that because I don't like that color. Oh, you know? sure. It's like, well, if there's a reason for not 
liking that color, that's fine. But it's like, an, if there's no compelling reason not to use a stamp, then use a fucking stamp. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that I'm kind of like most proud about with the label is how many people that were central to it or came on as helpers yeah. um, went on to do other cool shit. Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, you know, like kind of Gravity Records came out of that. And... 3-1-G did, man. I mean, it was, it was fucking weird to go to your house and to fold records and to kind of understand because then... Not that many years later, I had people folding unbroken seven inches. You <laughs> yeah, know? it kind of like, changes your perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like, hurry the fuck up. When, <laughs> when, you're, when you're the one folding, it's like, hey, we're only getting pizza for doing that. Pizza, what's that, that was what's always the, all we'd order, what's pizza. The, what's the rush? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, and then, yeah, there's a lot, like, Von from Custom Printing, huge which is, help, huge totally, help. Which is, is where I got all my early stuff printed at. We'd print the, the, the seven-inch covers and fold them and glue them ourselves because we couldn't afford to make regular covers. Yeah, I mean, I had so many nights where I'd be at Vaughn's yep. till four in the morning <laughs> and, like, driving home for three hours of sleep and, like, as soon as UPS opened, they had to be up to Mordam or, you oh, know, yeah. whatever, where we'd have these folding parties, whoever we could put together. It's like, yeah, beer and pizza, you know, whatever. So what did Vaughn print? Like, most of the... Um, a lot of the CD things, a lot of the custom, the more custom... I think he started with VC35, which was... Yeah, he might have been before that. This one was VC35, the tit wrench, temporarily committed for life. And this uh, this was a, his old shop, because I forgot to mention my buddy Jasper, who was one of the original tit wrench members, although he wasn't... I don't know if he's ever on any recordings, even. Yeah, other than I know Jasper. Ne- I met him before. Yeah, um... I just saw him. I did some plumbing up at his house up in L.A. about a year or so ago. Um, he's doing really well. Um, but Vaughn, it's crazy because, well, for one, he's, he does... But I met Vaughn through Jasper, actually. Jasper oh. used to work for him. And Jasper worked for Lynn at Soma. Oh. And um, that's Jasper's the one that turned me on to Vaughn. Then me and Vaughn became really good friends. I yeah. remember he, he knew Martin Sprouse at his high school. I think they went, they went to Mira Mesa High. And I, I had bought a zine that Vaughn put out. I forgot the name of it. He's going to be pissed. Sorry, Vaughn. <laughs> but um, I had it and right up until maybe a week before I found out, you know, this, years later, he was telling me, yeah, this journalism class, we did this zine, and I knew Martin Sprouse, and it's like, oh, fuck, you did that? I just threw that away. Wow. That's Which is weird, because I don't throw anything away. Yeah. You've been to my house. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but so Vaughn but, went and did Space Worm, and you released a Space Yeah, yeah, Worm. we did a couple Space Worm albums. He actually started, uh, him and Kid 606 did Ariel okay. together. The, the aerial 12 inch what about um um that was travis was and was vaughn involved in that i don't remember Vol. i know vaughn and travis are good buddies yeah. um the um cd we put out was travis from cattle decap yeah and i forgot his partner's name sorry it's been 20 years yeah. um so but vaughn's a pretty important figure because i mean he did all this stuff for gravity and was doing yeah stuff. well matt was working for him you know <laughs> yeah. matt actually was working for me matt was plumbing for the longest time with me um we did this nine unit um apartment complex in imperial beach matt helped me on this like the back new, in the this was the early yeah. 90s okay in fact he, it's kind of funny matt kind of regrets not sticking with plumbing because now he's an accountant <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, yeah for anyone out there that's looking for something to do it's like i recommend plumbing is a career because um it'll never go away yeah it, it can't yeah. be outsourced really so music bad, plumbing good. <laughs> I don't know if music's bad. I, I don't have any. Well, career wise. <laughs> well, I would never tell anyone how to make a living, but just for me personally, 
I couldn't make a living doing music. Yeah. I don't think. I just wasn't wasn't comfortable enough with all the like I'm not even comfortable now and you guys are <laughs> completely great hosts and this is lovely and I, I uh but it's it's weird talking about yourself and that's all promoting your own music is. Yeah. It's like I felt like this and but I was so uh, sad that song and it, this one's really important. <laughs> Those other three songs weren't this one really mattered, you know, shit like that. It's like I that's the song. That's what it's about. If you want to get into details, I can answer every question of why that lyric's in there. But I'm not going to, you know, you ask me. You listen to it. Tell me what it means to you. Sure. It doesn't matter what what I think it means because, you know, I wrote it. It's Once it's out of my hands, you guys tell me what it means. Well, it's art, subjective, and you can... Yeah. You know. I mean, a lot of people over the years have completely misrepresented what I meant by this stuff, but they still like it, so I'm not yeah. going to tell them not to. Talking about being misrepresented, I think your hands down best tit wrench cover is the cop pulling over the two kids. Um, <laughs> um, okay. You homo is out of the car. Well, I hate to let this one out of the bag where that came from. Uh, I think I know, but go ahead let it out. <laughs> uh, Sam McFeeders yeah. found that drawing in a, like in the free box at Epicenter records up in, uh, in Berkeley in um, San Francisco. San Francisco yeah. yeah. And we went with it. It's a, it is <laughs> the best uh, artwork ever. It's, um, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you can actually. My son did a a t shirt changing the caption. You know, uh -huh. during with, when all the media buzz with all the police shootings, he made a shirt with that with that cover that said "Kill yourself." I'm busy today. I mean, you can, <laughs> you, know, you, <laughs> yeah. you can kill yourself. I'm busy today. Sorry, but uh, yeah, you could use any caption with it. It's a great image. Yeah, uh. but yeah, I wish we. Uh, we should have made coffee mugs. I guess it's not too <laughs> oh, late. <yeah. laughs> There's still time. Yeah, you got yeah, because that's where all the money is these days. Coffee it's mugs. not the music. <laughs> well, not coffee mugs, but uh, t-shirts. David Hayes had a uh, from Lookout Records had the best story, which I've found to be true. Is you're on tour, you know, you're trying to hustle your records. You want people to hear your music. And for those that don't know, David would he would tour with all the Lookout bands and be their merch guy. So he had a really good handle throughout the country of what you know what people were buying and what was going on at shows but his classic line was yeah he'd be sitting there with 10 record 10 different albums the band had put out and some kid would come up and say hey i love your music how much are the t-shirts yeah. <laughs> yeah so i think i think a lot of bands do that now especially with all the free downloads or yeah, or you know just stolen pirated, download yeah, yeah. I think a lot of bands, especially when you're on tour, you're kind of relying on selling merch, and the more the merrier. Well, interesting, interestingly enough, it's going back to vinyl. I think uh, so. That is something that people do end up buying. I, not as that, not that it's profitable as is you know like a t-shirt, but it's... yeah. I mean, we've, uh, I've definitely toyed. I mean, we're all set to go with vinyl. We can talk about this off air too, because we've had this ongoing talk about putting out an album on vinyl with you and yeah. i'd like to do that it's just yeah this probably isn't the time to yeah. get into the details <laughs> <laughs> well so tit wrench still lives and vinyl communication still will sort of live to some extent yes it, I, I we never like i don't have the p.o box um kind of don't need it anymore yeah. with email and everything yeah but um you know kid 606 went on and started his own label i mean matt had gravity You've got your label. Um, so I still have a lot of connections. Yeah, I wonder if um, what I wonder if there's some sort of correlation between you and Vermiform. I don't know. I think that label might have started 
after finally communications? Yeah, it did. It started after, and I think Sam just, I think Vermiform is absolutely dead. I oh, yeah, yeah. I don't course. even think he would, as much as we haven't done anything in a while, at least I kind of hold out the possibility that we might re-release stuff. Uh -huh. We have some things available digitally. Um, but the vermiform like aesthetic seemed a lot like every like violent communications and a lot like gravity. It kind of had this feel of that era, I guess. Yeah, you know? it, it was sort of like kindred spirits, I guess. Sure, they all had their own little vibe, but it's like you know we weren't on I don't know some hardcore label out of New York yeah. or L.A. or you know we were who we were, and we kind of all that's why we're all friends. Sure. Yeah. Because um, we were all like, okay, well, I'm not exactly like Matt, of course, and or Sam, but we all appreciate the styles that we do. And, sure. And, you know, we're all of relatively the same time frame in terms of when our music was becoming somewhat relevant. So that's... I mean, to me, growing up younger, it was always really intriguing to see you work with Matt and you work with Sam and you work with even later on, like with Kid 606. I was like, damn, it's crazy to see all, like all of my friends from different, like not different worlds, but like genres or whatever come together and collaborate and i think it really said something for the way that san diego is and well yeah speaking of speaking of that that just reminded me of something since we're on adams avenue my friend marco um Anguiano, who passed away about 12 years ago he used to work for the adams avenue business association so um him and scott kessler scott kessler i think was the head i think he, scott might even be back there i bump into him every now and then but they got us to help them every now and then like uh they would give us a free booth some years, but then one one year they asked me to help do the stage, you know, do the sound, like set up the mics for one of the acoustic stages. And there was this band that played uh, Julian Briano Isus Hermanos. I don't know if you're familiar with that record. Oh yeah, yeah. It you. It was a Norteña band. Yeah, yeah. From National City, uh -huh. and they were really good and they were really cool dudes. So I said, hey, why don't you guys come down to the house and record just for fun? You know, yeah. we'll see what happens with it. And did two songs with them that came out pretty good. So we approached Rocket from yeah. the Crypt right when they were, you know, pretty Huge. popular. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and John liked it. And so we did that <laughs> split. So I, I like doing crazy, yeah. you know, fun stuff like that. It's like, so, yeah, these Rocket fans yeah. with their, you know, Rocket tattoos and their gas station attendant jackets <laughs> get to hear Julian Briano y Sus Hermanos. Yeah. And, and probably, well, hopefully we'd be exposed to Vinyl Communications as well. Yeah. 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 I, I, we always had like a little fun um ah, i don't know what the word is we just try to make people think a little differently because sure. that that's one of my personal i like people to um i i think people get like in their own little bubble like i talked about earlier and just don't explore enough weird shit sure and the, the weird thing about that release in, in specific is like it seems like an, an easy risk you know like you you do oh yeah like, i didn't consider yeah. it a risk i knew we'd sell it because rocket. rocket was yeah. on it yeah but, but most, I mean, if it wasn't Rocket, it was like a band of that nature, but maybe not that stature, you know, something that wouldn't necessarily sell, you'd be screwed. But that being said, the Julian music's fucking great, awesome, too. I mean, yeah. I, we got... But how many, how easy would it be to sell their, you know, 7-inch? Well, we would have sold 20. 50 of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. That's not fair to Julian, but um, yeah. who knows? Yeah. I, I don't know, man. We can we can wrap it up with that if you want yeah, that's I'm I'm good with that. If you guys, I don't, I don't know how long we were on. It's about an hour. It's good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's perfect. And there you have it, episode six of the Colton Culture podcast. Be sure to check out our other episodes on Three One G SoundCloud and um, subscribe to iTunes Three One G podcast.